Uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, the uh, church began to greet each other, the very specific greeting so that they would know who is who. And uh, one, would, one person would say this phrase, they would uh, look at somebody and say, Christ is risen. And then the other person uh, in response would say, Christ is risen indeed. And so let's, let's do that, okay? Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Very good. You guys, that sounded the most boring Easter. Okay, let me do it one more time. Christ is risen. There we go. You guys are doing better. Okay, cool. Our, my pirate ship kids, kindergarten through second grade. We have a special environment for you, and you can go out the back right there. Uh, Mr. Jared, uh, there's our children's minister. You guys can wave your hands in the air right back there and join them for a special environment that they are going to have some fun back there, okay? We're excited for them. Now, <clears throat> thank you for coming to Easter services at the Church of Cane Bay. It's a big deal for us. It's kind of the biggest day of the year, uh, and uh, we're, we're excited that you're here. We like to, obviously, we just sang about Jesus. Uh, we believe that he is the most important figure in all of history, uh, the biggest celebrity in all of history. He did the most uh, for our culture. He did the most for our world. He did the most for our universe, transformed lives, transformed history. And to say that he was a celebrity is a little bit weird, Right? We have this celebrity culture in our, in our country that's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, people, uh, people can get famous for uh, doing certain acts or political things or music or entertainment or movies. And, they, you know, people follow them around. They have magazines about them and all sorts of stuff. And you, you really wonder, like, I mean, and then there's people that are famous for no reason whatsoever. They're just famous for being famous, right? And then uh, you, you really wonder about that. Sometimes famous people have kids, and, you know, it's like, okay, those kids are now famous, right? I went to, uh, I was on a fall break in college one time with a friend of mine who was from Nashville. And uh, he said, hey, we're going to go meet some of my friends from high school. Uh, you want to come? I said, great. <clears throat> and we went to Vanderbilt University. And we met in this kind of like common era area with a bunch of, uh, of his old friends. And they're kind of, you know, catching up. And uh, there's, there's a girl named, uh, named Amanda there uh, that I was able to meet. And she was really nice. She was normal, just like everybody else. Dressed the same, had the same classes, had the same problems, had the same joys. It was great. There was also this guy here uh, that was a little bit out of place. He was huge. He was like, he was bigger than I am, but more stout. It looked like he actually worked out. And I mean, he, he, was, he was bald. And he looked like he was about in his mid-30s. He was kind of gruff and a little bit mean. He looked like he was walking around looking. He was always very observant. He didn't talk to anybody. And wherever we went, he went. He just kind of followed behind the crowd. And it was really weird because all of all Amanda and her friends didn't really talk to him. I'm like, who is this guy? Like when we got in the car, he got in the car with us, but nobody ever speak to him. And it was just odd. And then I come to find out that he is Amanda's bodyguard. I'm like, why in the world does Amanda need a bodyguard? And the answer is, is because she is Gloria Gaynor's daughter. Anybody know who Gloria Gaynor is? Okay. All right. Does anybody know Gloria Gaynor? Once I was afraid, I was petrified. Right. Now you know who Gloria Gaynor is. Okay. I will survive. That's, that's who Gloria Gaynor is. Right. She's a famous 70s disco diva. She made millions upon millions of dollars. And this was one of her children. She was normal. She was a Vanderbilt student. But they knew that she could be in danger in downtown Nashville. Uh, they, you know, you kidnap her and, you know, ransom for millions of dollars, these kind of things. And so she had this bodyguard. But it was just weird that you had this absolutely normal human being that really hasn't done anything. And she's the same as everybody else. You're, there's nothing different about you. It's just who your mom is. <clears throat> now, we got, walk into church sometimes. 
And we're looking around. And we look at, you know, that guy's from my work. I see that guy at Publix. Uh, He's, okay, apparently he's a Christian. He goes to church here. Uh, Apparently he's, uh, you know, look at at his wife. You know, his wife isn't hotter than mine, you know? You know, different. I I, I say that all the time to myself, right? Um, Anyway, my wife is smoking, right? So... Uh, anyway, but you're looking around at everybody and it's like, what is the big deal? What is the difference between all these people? There's church people and there's, there's me. And there's, you know, these, these people, these Christians and they're singing and, and, and then there's me. I don't get what's the difference. They have the same problems I do. Their kids cause the same problems my kids do. And, and like, there's no difference between them and me. Here's the answer to that. There isn't. There is no difference between Somebody who is a Christ follower and somebody who is not. Now, at the end of this, uh, at the end of, uh, of this sermon here, I'm going to give you a chance to walk towards Jesus, to take a step in that direction. So I just want to let you know what's coming. So if you've kind of been hanging around the church of Cane Bay for a little while and you've been kind of seeing what this is all about and you're still not there yet, you still haven't decided to make that, that leap yet, uh, you know, we're going to give you that chance. And what better day to do that than with Easter? If this today is your first day, you'll get that chance too. And, and I hope that what God has to say to us really speaks to you. So let's, let's look that up. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have a Bible, uh, open that up, 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't, it'll be up on our screen for us, okay? And then it should be, if you receive the bulletin, on the, on the back of one of your uh, service outlines, it has the scripture written right there so that you can take that home with you. If you don't own a Bible at all, we have one for you at the Connect table. We'd love to give you one for free. It'll be yours, uh, and we will not ask for it back because we want you to have that, okay? First Corinthians is going to be in the New Testament. It's going to be farther into your Bible. Uh, you can go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the writers of the gospel. And then you have this guy named Paul who wrote a letter. This isn't a book. It's a letter to the, the church at Corinth, and that's why we call it Corinthians, okay? And this guy, Paul, he saw... Uh, he, he, he saw, he had visions of Jesus. He had a miraculous uh, <clears throat> salvation story in which Jesus pulled him out of utter darkness where he actually killed and murdered other Christians. And then he actually became one of the greatest Bible writers of your entire scripture that's in front of you. And so we have this letter that he writes to the Corinthians. And it, basically the whole letter is him answering questions that they have. And then he gets to the very end. And he said, and he basically says, this is what you need to know. Everything, I just answered a bunch of questions, excuse me. I just answered a bunch of questions for you, but this is the most important thing. This is what I want you to remember. So verse one says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand. If you have a pen, underline that little phrase, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So let's take a look at those, those couple verses. And I want you to lean in a little bit. Uh, if you're a believer here, I got a couple things for you. Uh, so if you're a Christ follower, this is really for you. I want you to listen to this. Um, <clears throat> he says this, let me remind you. Now, if you are, you know, if you're a parent or if you ever said this, why would you ever tell your children, let me remind you? Why would you do that? You don't want them to forget. You're telling them something. I, I don't want you to forget this truth. It's very important, okay? Let me remind you. Either you have already forgotten or you're go- I believe that you're going to forget. So let me remind you of the gospel. Now, that's a big word. Circle it, underline it, whatever you want to do. The gospel. 
I want to remind you of the gospel. This is an important truth. I'm going to go over that in a second. And then he says, says this, in which you stand. This truth of the gospel, this story of redemption, this is what we stand upon. It's our foundation. And then he says this, in which you are being saved. Now, if you've been around the church long enough, we have this, these weird words that we say, you know, is a Christian saved or not? That means that they've been pulled out of death so that they will live abundantly and they would live eternally, okay? And that's what he means by saved. What he's saying, though, is that you are being saved. And, you know, usually when we use that word, it's in the past tense. I am saved. I had in a moment in my life in which I did give my life to Jesus and he is now my Lord and I got saved at a certain date. Paul says here, in which you are being saved. It means it's a like continual walk. And that's what we do. We look back on our, oppor- on, our, on our one time where we were saved, and we are constantly being saved. Every day, repenting of sin, walking forward with Christ, pressing forward, pressing on. But let me remind you of the gospel. And this is a big deal. So what is this idea of the gospel? Now, if you're here at the Church of Cain Bay, you'll probably hear this thousands of times because we believe this is at the core of our faith. We want everybody to know this. It is that God created you. He created me. He created everything. You step outside those doors, you see the sky, you see the earth, you'll see the oceans, you see the sand, you see the birds of the air, you see the fish of the sea, you see the animals that are around, you see what we are called the image of God created special to then lord over all of those things to take care of this planet and to be a part of creation. And that he has a special relationship with us because we are made in the image of God. And a long, long time ago, in the beginning of your Bible, it says that God created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and he created them perfect. And they had relationship together that God would walk with Adam and Eve on a daily basis. And they had this wonderful kind of marriage together, this relationship together. And then Adam and Eve decided that they were going to break that relationship through sinning by doing something against what God had told them to do. And they separated from God. And now there was this mutation. This darkness in the middle. Where they could not come back together. Then now there is guilt and there is shame. And that through thousands of years of history. Then began this journey of how are we going to reconcile this major significant problem. And sacrifices were made. Peoples were grown, and this story is told about how people are going to get back to a relationship with God, restored the way that it once was. And so there is this great need for us, because we all know that we're going to die. Part of this whole sin thing is that now we die, where our bodies break down. That's not a natural thing. God created us to live forever, but our bodies die because of sin. And that we have this question about what is on the other side. What is going to happen to us when we die? And the great news is, and what the gospel means, gospel just simply means good news. The good news is, is that God created a a way in which to fix the problem. And how he did that is he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to live amongst us, 
to minister amongst us. And he did wonderful, amazing things, teaching truth. He was perfect in every single way. Never sinned, never maligned, never mutated. And he was still killed on a cross for us. He went and died for us. So those pictures of Christ that you've seen all weekend up on a cross, bloodied and beaten, that is an innocent man who has decided to substitute himself for us in our place, for our sin. And that would just make us kind of neutral. That he has taken away our sin and then we're just kind of, it's a blank slate, it's vanilla. We're no longer anything at all. But here's something even more graceful. Is that not only does he take on our sin onto himself, but everything about him, his holiness and his goodness, his purity, everything that he has done right, he gives to us. Martin Luther called this the great exchange that Jesus takes on our sin and we take on his righteousness. And so that when we die and we stand before God and God says, why should I have a relationship with you for all of eternity? And Jesus says, because you're looking at me, I have substituted myself for them. Because they believed in me. And so we hear about this. And this is of first importance. Look at your Bibles in verse 3. It says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. There it is. This is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, what I just told you, in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he really was dead. He wasn't just kind of faking it. He really was dead. And that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What he says in verse 3 is, this is of first importance. It's a double positive. This is This is the biggest, most important truth in all of Scripture that God has created a way that God sent His Son to die on a a cross for us in our place. And not only that, He really was dead. He wasn't just kind of dead. He really was dead. And then He rises again three days later in which we celebrate that for Easter. And Paul says that this is of first importance. That this is the most important thing. That this is, this is the linchpin that holds it all together. You see, you have men in the Bible who believe this. You don't have to say, I believe the Bible. The Bible doesn't really say anything. The Bible's a collection. The Bible's a collection of people who actually did see this happen, which is pretty amazing. You have guys like Matthew, one of the books of the Bible. This is a guy who was sinful, tax collector. He was a, a, a Jewish man, but he was... He, he was, his life was a mess and Jesus brought him out, walked with him for three years. And then he began to write everything down exactly as he saw it. And then he died a martyr's death because he believed it. Because he believed what Jesus did. Then you have, you have other guys like Peter. This is one of the first guys that saw Jesus resurrected. Most of his account is found in the book of Mark, one of his disciples. 
And so, and so Peter actually walks and he preaches one of the first sermons of the church and many people get saved because Peter believed in it so, he believed so much in it because he saw it with his own eyes. He saw that Christ died completely and that he saw a resurrected, alive Jesus. And eventually he believed that so genuinely that he went to his death and he actually was crucified upside down because he, would, he felt that he could not stand in the same place that Jesus did. He thought that he was not honorable enough and that he went to his death because he believed that so much. One of the greatest, I believe, evidences that Jesus really did rise from the dead is that there was another man named James. James is in your Bible too. It's a book of the Bible towards the end. James was Jesus's half-brother. He was a child of Mary and Joseph. And James, according to the scripture, wasn't he didn't follow jesus he didn't really believe that he was the son of god i mean he's like i i saw him get his learner's permit i don't believe okay in that guy right but then what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of god i have a brother there's no way on earth that i would believe that my brother Corey is divine right James comes to the conclusion after seeing a resurrected Christ that his brother truly is the son of God and worships him and proclaims him and tells others about him. And so you have these evidences that there are full-blooded men, women who wrote about it, that saw it happen and believed it and eventually would go to their death for it. So why is it so important? Why do we celebrate it? Why is it the biggest day of the year for us? It's because it is the one thing that holds us all together. You see, Jesus wasn't just some inspirational teacher. He wasn't somebody that said really cool things and healed a lot of people so that we can write, you know, write what he said on coffee mugs and sell them, right? It, that wasn't it. it wasn't, he wasn't just there to make us feel good about ourselves. Jesus was there to substitute himself and give us life. That was his purpose. That was his calling. And if Jesus never rose from the dead, we would still be in our sins. We would still be walking around dead. We would have a dead Savior so that we would have a dead faith. Paul writes about this a couple of verses later. You should have this on your sheet too. In verse 17 through 19, it says this. And if Christ has not been raised has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's what he says. You are still in your sins. Then those, uh, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, um, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What he's saying is that our faith, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, that is the linchpin, that's the thing that holds it all together, he could have died and he could still be in the ground and our faith would mean nothing. We would be walking through these truths like we're on a hamster wheel, sweating and going and working so hard, but our faith is going nowhere. He also says that people who have died believing this, they have met their end. 
So when you go to a funeral and you hear a preacher or a pastor talk about the afterlife, going to heaven, this big picture of a glorious and wonderful place that we're all, that we're going to go to people who believe and we're going to meet our grandparents and our great-grandparents and those who have died before us. And you go to a funeral and you're like, yeah, don't worry, you're going to see them again. What Paul says, if Christ has never died, has never died and risen from the dead, then all of that is a bunch of lies. You will never see them again. They're gone. It's over. And when you die, it's over too. That's how important the resurrection is. And then he says, if we believe this and Christ hasn't risen from the dead, we are most to be pitied. That we are just a bunch of idiots. That's what he's saying. The resurrection of Christ makes all of the difference in the world. So do you believe it? Do you believe in a resurrected Christ or not? And I'm not talking about a general you. I'm specifically talking to you in the seat. Do you believe in a resurrected Christ? And you might look around the room and say, I'm no different than anybody else. What makes somebody different that believes in Jesus and doesn't? I look at these folks and I don't see any difference. These folks have the same relationships. They have the same jobs. They make the same money. Missed. Not doing too well in my bracket either. Um, They have the same jobs. They have the same experiences. They have the same pain. They have the same happiness. I don't see any difference between me and them. We are all the same. And I would say that's absolutely true. I would say that it is nothing different. What changes is what we stand on. Remember I told you to underline that verse in verse 1? It says, that. let me tell you, let me remind you of the gospel in which we stand. So let me remind you about the truth that you know. I want to remind you of the resurrection of Christ that you trust in, that you hope in, that you believe that there is a future and that you stand. And when things begin to shake, nothing is going to happen to you because your future is absolutely secure because there is something foundational. It is a bedrock that holds you up. It's never going to let you down. It is never going to let you go that Christ and the resurrected Christ of, of what has been seen in the scripture is holding you up and is holding your life together so that when bad things happen, you trust in Christ. You don't trust in anything else. You trust in Christ. But the problem is, is when we decide to put our trust in something completely else, that we decide to put our trust in our marriage, in our kids, in our job, in our money, whatever. And that's what really holds our life together. So what happens? What happens when your kid gets terminal cancer and is going to die in a year or less? What happens when you lose your job and you have nowhere else to go? What happens when your best friend commits suicide? What happens when your husband comes home and says, I'm leaving you for another woman? What happens when your marriage is a sham? And what happens when some kind of storm comes out and completely ruins your life? You see, it's not about you. 
It's not about you. It is about the foundation that you stand on. Is your foundation broken? Is it falling apart? What Paul says is that if we trust in anything else besides Jesus, that our foundation is one day going to crumble and it is going to fall apart and our life will go with it. And you might even say, this is my life. I've already been through that. That's me scattered out on the table. I've been through that experience and I don't even know how to pick it up again. The good news is, and the gospel is, is that God can come along and for free give you a solid foundation once again that will hold on to you forever and ever. And he will begin to pick up the pieces of your life and put it back together, restored and better than ever before. And you all have hope. Will it be hard? Will the storms come? Absolutely. Will things kick at you? Yep. Will you be free from sin? Eternally, yes. But you will still struggle. But we will be held up by a firm foundation. This forgiveness is free. This joy is free. And I want you to have it. And at Easter, I couldn't think of a better place to have it than right now. Do you believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose again? It's as simple as it gets. Do you believe that? If you do, I want to give you a chance to receive Jesus. I want to give you a chance to pray with someone that knows the scripture and can walk you through and journey with you through this. You might have been walking with the church of Cane Bay for a little while and you're just like, you know, I just, I just, I just need to make that decision. Please do. And what I'm going to do is in a, in a minute, I'm going to stand you up. And we're all going to start to sing about Jesus, his death, and his resurrection for us. It's a great song. What that song is to you is it's a chance for you to stand up and start walking back to the back of the room where I will be waiting for you. Where there will be a couple ladies waiting for you. Where there will be another man, maybe Pastor David, will be waiting for you. And we just want to talk. We want to see where you're at. We want you to ask all the questions you've got. A man just in the last service said, I need to talk. I said, great. We went back and he just, he just asked me a ton of questions. He just wanted to journey with me through it. And I said, as long as we're willing to walk in the truth together, let's walk in the truth together. But I want you to make a decision today to start journeying and take a next step towards God because God has been running towards you. Let's pray. God, um, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that you have uh, given to us great hope, great security, a great foundation in the gospel. And that there's no way that that's ever going to be taken away from us. And we understand that it is not about us. It is not about what we've done and the experiences that we've had. It doesn't matter how much sin that we have. It is because it is, it is all because you have given us forgiveness that we stand. And God, I'm the biggest sinner of them all, and you have forgiven me. And so, Father, I know that there is a man and there is a woman, there is a student in this room 
who desperately needs you today. Their life is crumbling and they might not even know it. Their, their foundation is just sham and, they, and they, don't, they might not even know it, but they might even know it. God, I just ask that you would give them the courage and the boldness just to step out. Take one step towards you so that you can proclaim to them more freedom from their sin, that you can proclaim to them the grace God, I'm thankful it's free. Jesus, we love you and we ask that you save today. In your name we pray, amen. So stand with me. If you're ready to respond to this gospel and this message, get out of your seat, come and see me. I wanna talk to you and I'll see you.